second half of the People Show coming to you live from the Kintech studio on Wednesdays. Uh, we chat to our friend Danny Kelly for the fantasy football update brought to you by the Clayton Public House pregame to postgame the Clayton Public House. It's your home of football. Catch all the action on 15 screens, two giant projectors, the ClaytonPub.com. He joins us from the Ringer Fantasy Football Podcast. You can email them at ringerfantasyfootball at gmail.com with Craig Holbeck and Danny Heifetz as well. It is DK. DK, how are you? I'm doing well. Bick, where were we? Where was the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on your wrapped, your Spotify wrapped? Oh, I haven't even That's opened out. My Spotify today. Um, you got to go check it out. Do you really want me to do this live? Because you went to the <laughs> No, 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 no. I just want you to lie to me, really, and to say it was number one. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, actually, as you can hear the music going in the background now, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> I'll, I'll text it to you, or I'll, I'll tell you by the end of the uh, <laughs> Good. Okay. The interview perfect. here. Uh, all right. Uh, let's get going into week three, because I imagine most people are through their trade deadlines now, too, because we're getting yep. ready for week yep. 13. So now this is... like. What's important at this stage? Is it like hit the waiver wire hard or is, is this just like all the, the roster micromanagement here? I like to, at this time of year, I kind of like to have a couple, get rid of the roster cloggers in your on your team, the guys that are just not really worth plugging into mm-hmm. your roster at any given time, especially once we get through this week with the buys. Um, I think after this week, there are no more buys. Could be wrong, but I think this is the last buy weekend. It's a big one. Um, but going forward, start to add like, you know, a little bit of insurance to your roster. The guys, you know, Zach Moss would have been a great example of that this week because, right. uh, you know, with Jonathan Taylor might miss a couple of weeks here with a broken thumb. Um, but I like to have a little bit of insurance for my for my best players on my team. Um, just in case an injury happens, you can have someone to, like, lean on in the playoffs. So um, this is the type of year usually – or time, time of year where I'm purging my roster of guys that I'm not going to ever start and, and adding some, like – you know, backup type guys. Uh, all right, let's uh, start uh, in a position we love, the, the tight end position. Um, the, Pat Fryermuth uh, showing up again oh, yeah. last week. Now, it, it feels like it's taken a while for him to kind of have a, a, a nice season, but it, mm-hmm. with, the, with the offensive coordinator change, do you look at that and say this might be new integration of Fryermuth? Yeah, and I, it's tough because I don't know if I would necessarily depend on him week in and week out putting up big numbers clearly, but um, the big thing with his performance this last week is they threw over the middle of the field. The Steelers, generally speaking, under Matt Canada had... By the way, are you guys mad about the whole Matt Canada name thing? Like, people blaming Canada for everything? Um, I, I think we just find it funny in this stage. <laughs> okay. Um, but anyways, yes, with the new new offensive coordinator, Matt Canada is now gone. Um, I think the Steelers made it a big emphasis, point of emphasis, to attack the middle of the field, which, if you look at uh, Kenny Pickett's passing charts from the last year really it's all like almost exclusively just short passes little dump offs and then stuff to the sideline and you can kind of picture it in your mind's eye i think him trying to throw these really high degree of difficulty low percentage passes down the field to uh to george pickens or whatever and just not really using the middle of the field this is like an 80 percent of the field is just has been sort of closed off to this team more or less. Um, and so it was really, really encouraging to see them attack the middle of the field. It was a big part of their game plan coming into this week. And if you look at the numbers, I think there was 40 something games that Matt Canada was the offensive coordinator for the Steelers. The game before he took over as offensive coordinator, the Steelers had 400 yards. Then there was the entire tenure of Matt Canada in, in uh, Pittsburgh. They had no 400 yard games. And then the first game that he was done, 
they had another 400 yard game. So it's like, I mean, geez, this guy, I don't even know how he honestly lasted this long, even for a team like the Steelers who doesn't, who, who don't make, you know, rash decisions because he was just clearly, clearly holding them back. So, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, there's not going to be a lot to go around with, with Kenny Pickens or sorry, with uh, uh, George Pickens, with Deontay Johnson and Pat Firemuth, like those guys are not all going to produce week in and week out. Um, but I think it was just very encouraging in general that they were attacking the middle of the field, opening up that area of the field. Uh, Cole Komet caught all seven of his targets this week. Uh, mm. Now he's had a couple of splash weeks with the touchdowns, obviously not this week, but is this something to monitor as Chicago? You know, that, it's not like they put up a lot of points, but right. are we seeing a better version of Chicago? Now they're on bye this week, but nevertheless... Yeah, I think I was, you know, it's funny because I think the general feel coming out of that game was that Justin Fields did not have a good game. And his passing chart was like exactly what I was just talking about with, with Kenny Pickett, where it was a bunch of dump offs, a few deep shots. Um, it's not really what you want to see. But I will say the one thing that was encouraging, again, for, for Justin Fields was he was getting rid of the ball a little bit quicker and and being a little more decisive um, with the football. And obviously, you know, he his big like hiccup and, and as a pro has basically been like, he's too slow. He takes too long, um, his processing. And then he takes a, t- a whole bunch of sacks and that's really, really hard on an offense. It's just hard to run an offense in general when you're getting sacked that much. And so, um, a big part of that, I think was Cole Komet was just like a little outlet guy for him. Um, obviously you don't want to like live on that as an offense. Um, but I think it is a big point of emphasis again with this team that, you know, if, if your first three is not there down the field, just dump it off, get rid of the football, live to see another day down, down, don't get sacked. Um, and that was, I think the big encouraging thing that I took away from this game. And yeah, he had seven targets. If you look back over the last five weeks now and of course i know that uh fields wasn't playing all these games but you you got seven targets four targets seven targets eight targets ten targets for cole Komet. so he's a huge part of this passing game right now and quietly cole Komet is the tight end six on the year um it doesn't really feel like it and it doesn't he doesn't feel that trustworthy to me to be totally honest uh but he is the number six tight end in overall points so um you know he, he's been pretty good and, and i've been plugging him into more of my lineups these days just because i think He's going to be the, you know, the check down guy, the security blanket for for Justin Fields the rest of the season. Uh, talking to Danny Kelly, as we do here on Tuesdays or Wednesdays for the uh, fantasy football update. Uh, all right. Moving away from tight ends, uh, you, you referenced um, Zach Moss earlier. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, given his success early in the season, this is just plug and play potentially with, with Jonathan Taylor's. Yeah. I mean, especially if Taylor is out. But honestly, even if Taylor somehow because i haven't seen anything official yet mm-hmm. it sounds like he's gonna miss taylor's going to miss time but i would say even if taylor doesn't miss time i'm still kind of interested in, in uh zach moss down the stretch because if you look at how they were utilized in this last game it kind of went back to this 60 40 split where they were rotating drives um i don't have the numbers in front of me but essentially like if you look at the way they were utilized it was like jonathan taylor for two drives they'd put zach moss in for another drive or two then they'd rotate back uh, with jonathan taylor and then go back and forth throughout the game and then at the end of the game i think jonathan taylor kind of finished it out taylor ended up with a much better day um but it was much more encouraging from a zach moss point of view because they were it looked like they were making a concerted effort to have him play and, and be a big part of this rotation so um i would say zach moss is a huge you know uh, target for me if he's on the waiver wire somehow still. Um, obviously, if he's on your team, I'd feel very confident going forward, especially if Taylor's out. I mean, I think he was a top four running back when Taylor was not playing um, in fantasy. And so obviously, you know, that's huge. He, I think he's a good player. I think he's proven that, you know, if you look at all the metrics, broken tackles, yards after the 
catch, or sorry, yards after contact, even yards after the catch. He was being utilized in the passing game more than I think anyone expected. So I'm a big Zach Moss guy. And if you have him on your roster, if you stashed him, uh, kind of, you know, not hoping for an injury, but like kind of like, you know, if an injury happens, I'm going to benefit from this. Uh, Zach Moss is definitely a guy to have over the next month because it sounds like um, Taylor is trending towards going to the IR. So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, it's it, this is potentially huge for your stretch run. Uh, seeing some numbers about the Rams backfield here over the past four games, and I was actually surprised how much usage uh, was Royce Freeman was yeah, getting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think, all right, like this will end, and Kyron Williams will, will step in. Now, Royce Freeman does get a touchdown last week. Um, clearly, Kyron Williams is is a starter, and you're putting him in your fancy lineups. But what do you do if you have Freeman? Um, to me, he's more of a bench stash, I think, right now. Um I'd be a little bit concerned putting him in just because, you know, the Rams, I think in this last game in particular, they were just content to run the football. They had a big lead. Um, They won 37 to 14, and it didn't really ever feel like that game was close. And so I think that they were willing to, like, you know, kind of run the clock and and do that thing. And and Royce Freeman ended up with 13 carries for 77 yards and a score, which is great. Um, But I don't know if he's going to have that type of volume going forward. Um, if you look at some of the splits when Kyron Williams was healthy earlier in the season, Kyron Williams was getting like 80, 90 percent of the snaps and, and most of the, the opportunities. And so I don't know for sure if they're going to continue to do that in a close game, um, you know, but or sorry. I don't know if the, if Royce Freeman will continue to get the type of usage that he got in this game against uh, the Cardinals in, in a close game where they probably just want to lean more on Kyron Williams um, snap in and snap out. I think Sean McVay has trust issues and. He, he, he likes to have his guys in there. You know, that's why we saw, you know, back in the day, Todd Gurley was just getting everything in that backfield. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, he likes to use the guys that he trusts really a lot. And so um, to me, I would be more of a wait and see thing with Royce Freeman in a close game in, in, or in a trailing script. I don't know that he's going to get the type of, of volume that you really want, but he's a good guy to have on your bench for sure. Because um, if Kyron Williams gets hurt, to, hurt again, he's, he's you know, it, clearly the guy they trust over Daryl Henderson. We're seeing some signs of life from Ramondre Stevenson now. The last you know, yeah. two of the last three weeks, he scored a touchdown, uh, but he's gotten twenty carries the past two games. I, I you know, you, you watch the Patriots, and it's just like this is chaos, and it it it, it feels like such hard work for Ramondre <laughs> yeah. every week. Now you're kind of at the meaty part of the season, and he is running back like twenty. So yeah. I, I guess you're putting him in, but like, how much trust does he provide you? Um, yeah, it's tough because this offense is just so horrific. It's, it's like one of the worst, most frustrating offenses to watch. But at the same time, um, I think that Stevenson in particular could be a guy that could benefit from sort of like the upheaval the Patriots are having at quarterback. If they get Bailey Zappi in there, um, for the rest of the year, Bailey Zappi is a check down King. And so that could be huge for Ramondre Stevens, particularly in half PPR and PPR, uh, formats, just because, He's a pretty, you know, reliable, dynamic receiver out of the backfield. He he catches the football. He makes guys miss after the catch. Um, and honestly, like you mentioned it, he looks like the best he's looked all season. I don't know what was going on with him early in the season. He just looks slow. Maybe he was coming off of an injury. Maybe he just wasn't in, in perfect shape early in the season. I don't know what it was, but um, he's really sort of found his groove and looks like the guy that I thought he was coming into the season. Cause I was very high on him coming into the season. I didn't know that the Patriots were going to be this bad. I thought they'd bounce back a little bit with a real offensive coordinator. Um, but 
Yeah, he he looks Stevenson looks a lot more like the guy he was last year. Really dynamic um, tackle breaker. He's dragging guys. He's making guys. He's making uh, tacklers miss. Um, and so it's really encouraging. I think he could be one guy that kind of like finishes really strong this season, and you know, kind of makes his way up the ranks and gets into like the the borderline run, running back one range, um, just because he's going to be catching a lot of passes over the next like month. Uh, just really quickly on, on someone like Tony Pollard. Uh, since I last talked to you, he's got two touchdowns, so uh, that's massive. It's. I feel like we get the credit for that. Yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, we put that out into the world that we really wanted him to, to finally get those touchdowns. Uh, yeah, he was. He's been one of the most frustrating guys in fantasy this year, just because the usage has been there. And again, this is another guy that I think just didn't really look like himself for the vast majority of the season. He is coming off of a broken leg. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of you know. I think people in fantasy world probably underestimate like the actual just rigors of a season. You know what I mean? Like it's this football is a very hard sport to play and he was getting a lot of touches and he just didn't look very explosive. And I think a lot of that had to do with um, the fact that he was coming off of a broken leg and he just didn't have a full off season to train, get in into the perfect shape. And it feels like he's another guy that sort of hit his stride late in the season. I don't know, just to my eye test, he looks a little bit more explosive over the last few weeks. Um, And I think also just, uh, you know, touchdown luck is catching up with him. Like, positive regression is happening finally he's finally kind of just getting into the end zone and and he got that monkey off his back early on because obviously you know a lot of people were very very disappointed with him for uh from a fantasy point of view and it's good to see him finally get into the end zone a few times a uh, couple of weeks in a row now for christian watson getting in the end zone in green bay is, is this just a function of you know jordan love looks like he's playing like he was outrageous in that thanksgiving game against his yeah. right um or was something ailing christian watson that he, he kind of does look a bit more explosive as well yeah he to me watson is i don't know kind of think of him as like a jameson williams type of player like mm-hmm. if you you know, if you have him, have him on your team, there's definitely going to be weeks where you're excited and he has a touchdown or two. He has a couple of big plays. Um, but I think at the same time, he's going to be a volatile player just because he is, you know, generally speaking in this offense, like the big play guy. You know what I mean? Like he's going to have uh, a 30 yard catch down the field. It, it, I guess it's like George Pickens, too, is kind of type of player um, where. You know, you can't necessarily depend on him for a high amount of volume in terms of targets, but when he has those targets, they're potential for big plays and touchdowns. And we saw that when he was playing last year. Um, Obviously, in the second half of the year, Christian Watson was like one of the top league winning type players because he scored, I think, eight touchdowns in the final like seven games or something like that. And so um, he's definitely a guy to be on your radar. But at the same time, um, I think he's going to be a little bit volatile just because of the nature of the offense, the nature of his role in the offense. And there's a lot of other guys, honestly, in, in this offense that are playing well right now. We got um, Jaden Reed has come on really strong. I think he's an exciting young player for them. Um, you've got Romeo Dubs, who is basically their, I think, de facto number one receiver this year. And he's getting a ton of end zone targets too. So it's just kind of going to be one of those things where you might have to ride the highs and lows for Watson. But I do think he's, he's another player that's starting to look like himself, looking like the guy that we saw last year. And crucially, uh, Jordan Love has been playing way better of late. He's been really accurate down the field, which was not the case early in the season, which again, I think was a big reason why Christian Watson was you know, mostly unusable for a big stretch of the season is because Jordan Love was not accurate down the field and he's kind of figured it out. I think he's gotten on the same page with his receivers a little bit more, you know, over the last two or three weeks. 
Uh, Terry McLaurin hasn't scored a touchdown in a month, but you look at that. We, we've touched on the the Washington passing offense as well. Like it's such high volume, which is fantastic. Yeah. But he's got eleven targets last week, and Jahan Dotson has a decent week. Curtis Samuel was the one who kind of led the way there. Uh, if, if you're a Samuel owner or a Washington Commanders wide receiver owner, yeah. Um, I, I suspect you're, you're looking at these guys as like wide receiver three types, but yes, the, the, yes. the volume is there. Yeah, it sucks because this is like one of the most this is like one of the best environments if you if right. you're talking about fantasy because I think honestly I haven't looked in for, for a minute but I think Sam Howell is averaging the most passes per game of any quarterback. Um and so that's obviously what you want in fantasy land. Uh this is a team that's not afraid to air it out. The problem is he spreads the love too much. He's like too generous to all his receivers. <laughs> Um, you know, he, he like throws to like six or seven or eight different guys in any given game. And I think that's not, it's not necessarily just Howell. It's probably the offensive game plan. They have a lot of good players, but in generally in fantasy, obviously you want funnel offenses that you know where the targets are going to go to. Like the dolphins are a perfect example. It's like, it's going to be all Waddle and Tyreek and you can just take that to the bank. Um, with the, the commanders, it's like, this is another perfect example. It's like Curtis Samuel came out of nowhere. I think he'd been hurt for a little while, but he came out of nowhere and had like 12 targets in this last game. And so it's just very hard to depend on any of these guys. I think Jahan Dotson's a good player too. Terry McLaurin's obviously a good player. Uh, they got a couple of tight ends they like to throw to. They like to throw to both of their running backs. It's just a nightmare in terms of trying to predict exactly who's going to get a lot of volume. I would say Terry McLaurin I'm the most confident in just because he is the clear-cut, I think, quote-unquote, number one guy in that offense. Um but, man, I'm pretty nervous plugging either Samuel or Jahan Dotson into my lineups just because they've proven in the past they could give you, like, a goose egg. And, um, you know, and, and it's just kind of the nature of this offense. I will say, with Samuel, the very at the very minimum, he's schemed up, I think, more looks than anybody else in this offense because he's sort of this, you know, he, he's a hybrid running back receiver type player. And particularly if Antonio Gibson is not in the game, they try and feed Samuel some of the uh, targets that Gibson was typically getting in this offense. So if Gibson is out, I would recommend playing Samuel. Uh, last one here before we get to our favorite part of the week. Um, I, I tried to warn you about Greg Dorch. You know, <laughs> Kyler Murray is this is guy, man. And, and here yeah. you get six catches two weeks ago. He scores a touchdown this week. I don't know, man. He, he He's the opposite Sam Howell. He, he focuses on his guys. I love Greg Dortch, man. This is like a guy. It's funny because he came out. I don't even know. It was like a few years ago. He's he's like a he came out of the college and he was like 20 years old um, out of Wake Forest, I believe. And he's like 5'7", 175 pounds. But like all his underlying metrics, it's like he came out of college too early because you see all these really tiny guys now um, kind of thriving in these in, in the new look NFL offenses where space and, and 11 personnel and you get guys um you just, you can scheme up players and scheme up uh targets for these guys uh but i think there's something to dorch i think he's actually good i looked it up the other day there in the games over the last two seasons in which he's played over 60 percent of the snaps so basically in the games that he's played um like a full complement of, of snaps he has scored double digit fantasy points in i think seven out of nine of those games um I just think he's good. I think he's a guy that demands targets. He's a guy that gets open and he's got a little bit of playmaker to him. And if you look back, you know, at his college days, he was like a big time returner. I think that always kind of gives you an idea of like guys, dynamism and space and his ability to make guys miss um, just a feel for space. And so um, I'm a Dorch fan. I, if you, there's kind of like an inside joke on Twitter, like I'm, I was the Dorch guy like three years ago and I was just early on him a little bit. Um, 
not necessarily wrong, just early. And so it's good to see him finally getting some snaps. And obviously, I think from a fantasy point of view, if uh, Michael Wilson, the rookie receiver for the Cardinals, comes back, because he's been out the last two games. If he comes back, there's a chance that the Cardinals just sit Dorch back down on the bench. Um, but also, there's also a chance maybe they've just seen what he can do and they can no longer ignore it and they have to play him. Because I think he's been more effective and more efficient, clearly, uh, than Rondell Moore has been, unfortunately. Because I like Moore too. But um, I think Dorch is just the better player right now. And so... Um, I think the Cardinals should play Dorch more, but I don't know if they're going to just because once Michael Wilson comes back, they've been they've shown it. Uh, uh, you know, they want him to be it, Michael Wilson to be on the field, not Dorch. Uh, he's like your uh, craft beer Hefeweizen. You, you knew about it ages ago, <laughs> and you've been yeah. telling everyone about it. He's the band. Yeah, he's the band I saw in a basement somewhere back in like the '90s before they were big. And I and I, you know, that's my Dorch. Uh, I'm a Dorch guy, big Dorch guy. Go back, go back way, way back. All right, who are we uh, sprinkling our fairy dust on this week? Uh, who, who's finally going to have a big Ooh, week? Good question. Um, throw out. Let's throw out a few guys. Who's on your team that you've really been waiting for <laughs> to like finally do something? Who are some guys on your team? Uh, I'm not sure if I'm the person you want to follow this week. <laughs> it has gone poorly for me in, in multiple uh, leagues this year. Do you, um, here's, here's a low-key one. This is like a digging in crates type of player. Um because I don't know for sure if he's going to have any catches, but A.T. Perry, another Wake Forest right. guy, yeah. um, who is a receiver, a six-round receiver for the Saints. He's going to have, I think, an opportunity here to have some pretty big production this week um, because, you know, Chris Olave suffered a concussion in this last game. Generally speaking, in the cross the NFL, very few guys have come back from concussions in one week. Generally speaking, I think 99% of the receivers this year have missed one game after suffering a concussion. And so he may be out next week. And then also Rashid Shahid, the number two receiver for the Saints, suffered a thigh injury, a quad injury. I think it sounds like it's more serious than, um, you know, like it doesn't sound like he's going to be able to come back at least this week. And so you've got this this New Orleans passing offense that has basically no one else. A.T. Perry is a guy that showed out in the preseason. He's got whenever, – whenever he's been on the field, he's had opportunities. He's done something with it, I've, I think. And so um, if he's running a lot of routes and, and he's kind of the de facto number one in this offense, I'm excited to see what he can do. Of course, there's a lot of variability here with this guy because he's a six-round rookie, and maybe they'll just pass to Taysom Hill and Juwan Johnson instead. Um, but I'm excited to see what A.T. What Perry can do. He's my sleeper of the week. We'll see what happens. Uh, I should have predicted this, by the way. I've gone through my Spotify Wrapped, and uh, <laughs> it's it's my own podcast that I listen to the most. <laughs> yeah, because you're so vain. <laughs> hey, Actually, man, mine uh, is mine is my top one too. I like yeah. to listen to back and make sure I'm like doing a good job. You exactly. Know, sure. So yeah, I get that. I get that. Separation is in the preparation. <laughs> so, yeah. exactly. Watch the game film and everything. Like that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, DK man, we appreciate it as always. All right, anytime. It's Danny Kelly joining us here on the. People's show. We got to run. Patrick Alvin is coming up on Canucks Central in a couple of minutes here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.